Once again, good morning. It is uh, so good to uh, be here and to be able to uh, share with you. One of the things that I want to begin with is just to say thank you. Uh, there are many reasons why I want to say thank you to this church. I want to th say thank you uh, for your support that uh, flows beyond the walls of this building, beyond this community, to uh, ministries within the Wesleyan Church and even beyond. I want to also thank you for your prayers. I serve you. I serve you as a district superintendent, as a national superintendent. And your prayers, I covet your prayers. Uh, the things that I'm called upon to do, I cannot do in my own strength and my own ability. Uh, I have to depend upon God and the prayers of his people that, that lift me up and give me wisdom that enable me to be able to uh, serve uh, him. Over the last uh, little while, I've just come back to a whole lot of AGMs and other things, but uh, I took about four months off uh, to do some uh, research and uh, for my doctoral studies. And it's uh, all centred around uh, the multicultural church and bringing people together in social cohesion. What we're seeing in the church, we're seeing uh, quite a few different churches that are, are breaking through the 100 uh, barrier. We're seeing uh, different um, ethnic groups that are, are rising up. We've got Congolese in different places, uh, large influx in um, Logan of Congolese, Central Africans. We've got a large uh, group up in uh, Townsville with Toowoomba uh, of Congolese. And we've got some of the others, whether it be the Filipino work that's uh, been happening down in New South uh, Wales. And then uh, added to that, we have the Chinese ministry that's even um, got off, that's been starting, started here. In the last few years, we now have uh, five um, Mandarin-speaking uh, Chinese works across the uh, South Queensland, uh, which I really thank God for. I was talking to one of the pastors from uh, Toowoomba, and he's sharing with me, I, um, I want to bring them into membership. He's got about uh, 40 adults. I want to bring them into membership. It's a little bit uh, different because in mainland China, they do not write their names down anywhere that they're a member because there's some dangers involved in that. But these people are excited about their faith. They're passionate about their faith. And so as I think about our church and the changing face of Australia, when I grew up, the church didn't quite look like me. Well, praise God for that. But, but uh, it was, if you forgive me, it was very white. And, but God's been doing something. He's been changing the colour. It's, it's become sort of multicoloured uh, church today. And I am quite excited about that. You know, I always wanted to be a missionary, but I knew that I, I, I had a hard time learning English, let alone trying to learn another language. And so now I have the opportunity, and you have the opportunity, to be a missionary right here in this country, and I think it's exciting. With all the different cultures that God has brought together, now it comes with a whole lot of problems. Because our human nature, we don't get on. We have a hard time getting on with people who are of our own culture, but ever alone trying to get on with people of, of different cultures. But if ever there's a place where we should be able to get on, it is in the church. It is in the church where we should be able to love one another. This is part of what the message of the gospel is about and I'm excited about I was overseas um, in the middle of that. I was over of my four weeks break. I was four months break. I was overseas in Barbados. I think Rob might have shared uh, some of that with you. And um, 
uh, seeing all the people from around the world, and now that we're in 100 countries around the world, is incredibly exciting. I have to confess, I tried to teach the West Indians how to sing, come on, Aussie, come on, you know, when the cricket was on. I, I tried to teach them that. They just couldn't kind of get into it the same way, but I tried. I share these things because I appreciate your prayers. God's at work. He's at, at work right here in this place, and he's at work across the board, and we want to get on board. We want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to share with you two verses today to start with, and it's in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, as we digest these verses and the scriptures today, it is my prayer that you'd enable me to step aside and allow your Holy Spirit to speak to each one of us, Lord, the things that we need to hear in Jesus Christ's precious name, amen. We have in Hebrews 11, leading up to this section here, we have the picture of those that have run the race before us. We have a picture of a stadium that is before us. And now those that have run the race before are up, sitting in the grandstands, and we are in the field, and we are the ones being challenged to live this life by faith with a kind of sense, with a kind of sense that there are others that have ran before us that are looking down, that are spurring us on. And as I draw from this picture of the stadium and this event, we could say the message that I want to share with you is who is calling the play? Who is calling the play? I am concerned that the church in an attempt to call the play is reacting to issues in the world with little depth or thought, and as a result is creating a greater divide between us and the world in which we live in. You know, in some sports they have coaches that all the way through the event they're able to call the play. In the football match, the coach is able to call the play. They send the water boys down. They're not just giving them water, they're giving them instruction. Some of the players are not even thirsty, but they're telling them what the coach wants them to know and how they need to be playing the game. And then we turn to tennis, it's a completely different type of game. You, the coach can't do that. The coach can't uh, yell out instructions and sometimes coaches and players have been fined when the coach has tried to direct the players while they're playing the game. Tennis can be a very lonely game, particularly singles tennis. You're out there by yourself, and you've got to work it out yourself. You've got to call your own play. Andre Agassi said this of tennis. Only boxers can understand the loneliness of tennis players, and yet boxers have their corner men and managers. In tennis, you're on an island. Of all the games men and women play, tennis is the closest to solitary confinement. It's a lonely game. 
You know, sometimes we may feel lonely in this journey and those feelings may, may be real to us, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not to feel alone. We're not to be like a tennis player on our own. We have our brothers and sisters and we have a coach that's not just up there in the grandstands, but a coach that's with us, that actually dwells with us through the Holy Spirit, a coach that guides us through this life. At times we may feel that it's very lonely in this journey as Christians. At the Pastors and Leaders Conference, I shared part of a seminar that I gave when I was in uh, New Zealand, and it, it was titled, uh, There Are Ghosts Among Us. Some people came up to me afterwards and they kind of uh, complained. They said, Rex, we thought you were going to talk about ghosts. But, but, but I wasn't really wanting to talk about ghosts or the movie Sixth Sense, I See Dead People, no. I, I didn't want to talk about that. What I was talking about was the invisible people in our midst, those that maybe feel like the ghosts. It's like they're there, but nobody sees them. Nobody notices them. And I travel around the churches, and I see the invisible people. The invisible people sometimes are standing right there in the corners, but other times they're right in the middle of the crowd. But they're invisible. It seems like nobody is noticing them. When I think of this, I think of a song from uh, Chicago, the um, uh, movie where this guy sings his party, and I won't sing it to you. Uh, it, it goes, cellophane, Mr. Cellophane should have been my name. Mr. Cellophane, because you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there. I tell you, Cellophane, Mr. Cellophane should have been my name, Mr. Cellophane, because you can look right through me, walk right by me, and never know I'm there. Do we feel like that at times? Do we feel like maybe we're in the middle of the crowd? Maybe we're right in the middle of a conversation, but we're not the ones talking. We're kind of the invisible. We might speak up at times, but nobody's listening. Nobody is noticing us. We are not to be alone. The challenge for you and for I is that we would help those that may feel that they are invisible to become visible, that they would know that they are worth, that they have a sense of worth, and that they are special to us. And I think of Philippians 2, 3 to 4, where it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also for the interests of others. To do this requires a looking around, there may be times where we feel like we are invisible. However, we are not alone. We are part of a team called the church. And we are taking our turn now on the field. Not alone, but with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Hebrews 11 reminds us that the key in handling the challenges of life, one of the keys is to live by faith. And we look through uh, Hebrews 11, we notice that every step there, it was that they lived by faith. They lived by faith in times of difficulty. They lived by faith in times of hardship. 
And the challenge for us as we face some of the difficulties of our lives is that we need to be a people of faith that are trusting God. And now I don't know some of the things that you are battling with at this time. Maybe there are some bills that are before you. Maybe there are some personal challenges before you that are bigger than you but will require that you continue to live by faith and trust God. Yes, there may be some things that you need to do as well to be able to overcome them, to humble yourselves, maybe to seek help, to ask for prayer, to do other things, maybe bring about some changes in your life. But this is all part of that journey of faith. And so from this picture of a game, this stadium, I present to you the question, who is calling the play? Who is calling the play in and around your lives? You see, in this tennis match, it's the single players, they have to call the play themselves. But here we are as Christians, we don't call the play, we have somebody else calling the play. And it's God. God calling the play. Living by faith is not about us calling the play. It's not about us calling the play. But this is the challenge. We surrender our lives to Jesus. And when it's all boiled down... Who is really calling the play in the journey of our lives? The picture of the cloud of witnesses that has gone before us, described in Hebrews 11, is a picture of total commitment, a total obedience to the point where it even costs some of them their lives. This life of faith is not about um, going in our own direction, throwing God a few prayers along the way. I'm going to do this and Lord bless me, you know, as I go down that path. Or throwing in a few prayer requests or blessings in the decisions that we make. The evidence of us calling the play may show itself in the level of our frustrations when things don't go the way we want them to go. It may show themselves in the level of our discouragement where it's like everything's been thrown out the window. Our plans have been thrown out the window and it's like we want to give up. And the question comes back, who is calling the play? Is God still in charge? Is God having the final say in these things? The question is, whose plans are they anyway? But I work so hard. I work so hard for these things. Whose plans are they? But they were great plans. You know, I thought about it. You know, I sat down. I w- they were beautiful looking plans. But they just didn't work out. Whose plan was it anyway? Whose plans were they? But they were for the glory of God. Whose plans were they? I prayed about it. Whose plans were they? They were God's plans, we say. But were they really God's plans or our own? In Isaiah 55, 6 to 11, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow came down from the heaven and do not return 
there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And as it says there, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things I have sent it. Maybe a slightly different question that we could ask is whose thoughts are they? Whose thoughts are they? Who is calling the play? As Christians, we need to learn the lesson of Hebrews 11 and remember the sovereignty of God, that he is king, that he is in charge. It is not a sovereignty where we do not have freedom of choice. He has given us freedom of choice. It is not a sovereignty where we cannot mess up God's plan. But the good news is when we do mess up God's plan and when we humbly come back to him, he can turn things around and lead us down a path that will work out in the end for our good. It is not a sovereignty where we cannot mess up God's plan. However, it is a sovereignty that, that God will have the final say. It is a sovereignty that will achieve God's overarching eternal plans. It is a sovereignty against the backdrop of closed doors and blocked detours and detours. It is a sovereignty that we can experience as we remain faithful in the midst of the trials and the heartaches of life. It is a sovereignty that can glorify God at the most devastating events that we go through. It is a sovereignty that we can hold on to when everything seems to be falling apart. Have you been there? I have. When everything seemed to be falling apart, but being able to hold on to God, I can't see it. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know how you're going to work through this mess, but I'm holding on to you, Lord. I'm holding on to you because I believe in your sovereignty. You will have the final say. In Hebrews 11 and 12, it implies to us to hold on. God is sovereign. He is still in control. And he is with us, even in the darkest moments of our lives. Even when we can't see him, he's still in charge. We can read through the many events in Hebrews 11 of those that suffered for the faith, those that remained faithful. It is a sovereignty of the truth of Romans 8.28. For we know that those who love God, who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Who is calling the play? Living by faith. Faith is not about us calling the play. It's about God calling the play and us accepting it. And a question may be for you today is, is where do you need to accept God's sovereignty in your life at this moment? Something maybe you're not happy with, the way it's turned, and you don't have a choice in. Where do you need to accept God's sovereignty? I read on in, well, I read in Hebrews 11, 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight that is holding you back and sin, 
which clings so closely. And again, I ask the question, who is calling the play? What are the weights that are holding us back? What are the things that maybe we have allowed to be in our lives that are holding us back from being all that God wants us to be? I saw a program where they had these turtles that were covered with barnacles. And the turtles were flat out moving. They couldn't swim and they're on the verge of death. And if we allow some of these weights, if we allow sin that hasn't been dealt with to remain in our lives, it will just about kill us. It will certainly sap the life out of us, the spiritual life out of us. You know, sometimes we've grown accustomed to maybe some behaviours in our lives, some immaturities in our lives, and we've just grown to live with it. Oh, it's, it's annoying to us and annoying to others, but we've kind of grown to live with it. But it's holding us back from being all that God wants us to be? What are some of those weights that need to be removed from your life? What are some of those sins that maybe you've been struggling with for so long, but you've just put up with and accepted? Today, I stand before you with the word of God, and I remind you that Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. Jesus is in the business of setting people free. He's the one that can set us free. He's the one that can remove those weights, those things that cling to us. You know, unless we allow God to deal with those things in our lives, those distractions, those weights will call the play in our lives. And maybe what we need to do is have a good look at ourselves and say, what is really calling the play in my life? Maybe it is my emotional immaturity that is calling the play in my life. Maybe it's these things that are calling the play in my life. And I need to allow God to do his work so it's not holding me back. It goes on to say, let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. You know, we all have different races to run. I'm not talking about doing our own thing. We're part of a family, part of a church, and there is a submission to each other and a learning from one another. But we have different parts that we play. We have different gifts. We have a different race uh, to run. I have, and we need to run the race that God has marked out for us. You know, I've often said to people that I'm a marathon runner. You know, I may not look like it. But, but, but underneath this exterior, there's, there's a marathon runner. And as someone once said, I think there's two marathon runners under there. But, but, you know, we need to be a marathon runner in this race to be all that God wants us to be. It's not just a sprint. It's to be able to get up and to keep being faithful to God throughout however long he would give us. It requires an endurance. But we have our moments, don't we? Like the day... After the four months and I had to come back to work, I'd been studying at home. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel like going back into the office the night before. My wife kind of had to push me out the door. You know, I've had enough of you for four months. So, so out you go. But, but we have our moments. It might not be that, it may be other. We have our moments where, where we may struggle with doing what we know is the right thing to do. But we need to be so careful that we are not running somebody else's race, 
We can allow sin and the distractions of life to hold us back from all that God wants us to be. The problem is to finish the marathon requires us running the race that God's marked out for us, that God has marked out for us. I've often said that it is a lot easier to please God than it is to please others. And maybe some of us have been trying to run other people's races. We're trying to live according to what they want of us when we need to live according to what God wants of us. Who is calling the play? Living by faith is not about us calling the play. It's about God calling the play and us accepting it. Don't let sin or the distractions of life or the expectations of others call the play. It goes on to say, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Do you ever feel at times you're struggling with your faith? Do you ever feel that this is a battle? I don't know how I'm going to survive in this journey, but I look here and I'm reminded who the founder is, and it's Jesus. I'm reminded who the perfecter is. And you see, when we take our eyes off Jesus and look at the problems around us and even at ourselves, it weighs heavy on us and the temptation is to give up because we cannot do it. Who can do it? The author and the perfecter of the faith. He's the one who can do it as we centre our attention and our focus upon him. You know, we might as well give up if we're just looking at ourselves. But we're not. We're to look at Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I get upset sometimes when I see some of the things that are happening around us and where other things tend to call the play. Uh, When I was away, I noticed the news that was uh, happening and it was about Israel uh, Falau and what was happening there. Now, you need to understand that that the scripture in its true quote I believe in. And, and, and yes, I'm not happy that he was um, sacked from um, that um, uh, team and from the uh, football club and so forth. I'm not happy with that. However, I have some problems with the way all this took about, or the way all this happened. And I'm unhappy sometimes that Christians seem to just jump on board without really thinking. When I was doing my apprenticeship as a chef before the ministry, I worked in the city, and over the night I'd go down to a Christian coffee shop from about 10 to 12 o'clock at night, down in Roman Street, that a Christian coffee shop, and we would share our faith with people. And I remember sitting at this uh, coffee shop and these young guys came in off the street and we'd try and break up a conversation in a gentle, nice sort of way. And then another Christian came and sat next to us. He sort of pulled his finger out like a gun, stuck it in their nose and said, do you know you're going to hell? And straight away, uh, you know, I just about collapsed and, and, and there's this invisible wall that's put up straight away. These guys were no longer interested in anything we had to say. We wanted to talk about Jesus, but we we lost the opportunity because he kind of hit them over the head. Yes, the truth is they are going to hell. We're all going to hell if we don't know Jesus Christ. But that was not the message to share for the time. And I look at Jesus, the way he talked to people. 
the way that he wanted to see people turned around. When Zacchaeus was up the tree, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, you're going to go to hell. He would have had a heart attack, fell out of the tree, and probably he might have ended up there. No, he said, I want to go and have a meal with you at your place. And he went and had a meal with him. And he spent time with him. Look at the way Jesus related to those that were in need, those that in a sense were outcasts from the church. He spent time with them. He didn't beat them over the head with the scriptures. He didn't do that. He loved them. He cared about them. And we need to be that kind of people. And if we want to see people transformed, we need to point them to Jesus because he is the only one that transforms. It's not about giving them a set of rules and regulations. It's about pointing them to Jesus because Jesus is the one that changes lives. And when you spend some time with Jesus, you are confronted by the truth. You are confronted by what is right and what is wrong. And you'll be like Zacchaeus say, where I've wronged people, I'm going to put it right. This is what we desperately need more so in the church today, rather than become the church that is pushing people away and making a great divide and making it harder for us to share with people about the message of the gospel. And it upsets me, some of these things. It's not about taking a blind eye of sin, but it's about understanding that these scriptures were spoken to the church. Jesus' hardest words, harshest words, were to the church, to the religious people, shall we say. But the words of love came to those who were broken, to those who are in need. The words of love were for them. And I look at James 1, 19 to 20, where it says, everybody should be slow to think and quick to post things on Facebook. <laughs> Is that what it says? No feels like that at times. I was thinking about these things and I was uh, on my way driving up north and I noticed a sign and it said from one of our politicians, I won't mention their name, but it said, I've got the guts to say the things that you only think. I don't want anybody saying the things that I might think <laughs> because some of those things are probably not good. You know, some of those things I need to think about first. And I need to take a step back from my thoughts and say, well, that's not healthy. That's not going to encourage one another. And I need to be the kind of person that says words that actually lift people up, that encourage. There's a time to speak the truth. But often that truth speaking is in the private, one-on-one -on -one with people. And so in James it says, James 1, 19 and 20, Know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, sometimes when we're fearful, we respond in a bad way. And sometimes I think the church in its fear responds in a bad way. Our fear of losing our rights and we respond in a bad way. I was playing basketball many years ago in Danong before I swallowed the basketball. But, but I, was, I was playing and um, my team was up the other end and too lazy to walk back if I, I was down where the other team was. And the other, we were winning and the team was worried. 
They were a bit frightened, and I could hear them. They're talking to one another. They didn't notice I was right next to them. And they're saying, well, you block that guy. You block there. You stand there, and if you get the ball, you pass it to here. And I'm listening to this, and I said, and then you pass it to me. <laughs> and they kind of, at that point, had a bit of a heart attack. And I was thinking sometimes what they were doing, they were playing what we call zone defence. You know, they just hang around the key and try and stop the other team from, from getting in. And I think sometimes the church is playing zone defence. Let's just protect ourselves. Let's build a little ivory tower here. Let's put the world's attacking us. Oh, no. Let's grab together. Let's defend ourselves from, from the world. We were not here. We're not here to play zone defence. We're here to be offensive. And I don't mean being offensive in the sense of sometimes I think people think it's that way. No, it's not to be offensive, but it's to be offense, to, to be out there. And we have a glorious message. The glorious of the message of the gospel is not about defense. It's about going out there with the love of Christ, with the message of Jesus, and being able to share with people that message. It's not taking a back step. It's taking a forward step. And this is the church that we are called to be. A church that can make a difference. This is a church that I believe that you want to be in, that you are working at being. A church that's reaching out, not a church that is stepping back. And I praise God for that. Who is calling the play? Living by faith is not about us calling the play. It's about God calling the play and us accepting it. So don't let sin or the distractions of life or the expectations of others call the play. So don't let fear or the world call the play. Who for the joy set before us endured the cross, despised the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. Our God is still in control. So I leave this with you today. Who is calling the play in your life? Who is calling the play? Living by faith is not about us calling the play. It's about God calling the play and us accepting it. Don't let sin or the distractions of life or the expectations of others call the play. Don't let fear or the world call the play. God is sovereign and is still in control. He is still in control. Let's pray. Father, I'd ask that you would forgive us, Lord, but we have tried to take control and we've tried to call the play in our lives, Lord. And Father, some of us here need to say to you again, Father, I surrender the control of my life to you, Father. I lay my life before you. You direct as you want to direct, Lord. I give to you those plans and those dreams that I have, and you can change them, Lord. You can redirect, Lord. You can put a, a stop sign and head me down another path. Because it's not about my plans, it's about your plans. And Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to trust you, even in the darkest moments of our lives. And I think of my brothers and sisters in Christ, and some are going through some dark moments. 
some dark times. And they're not too sure about today or even tomorrow. But I pray that you would give them strength, Lord. A strength that enables them to reach out and take a hold again of the sovereignty of God. A God who's in control. I pray that you would strengthen, that you would encourage them, Father. In Jesus Christ's precious name, amen.